Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20. We have been looking at a meeting that Paul has with church leaders from the city of Ephesus. Uh, The meeting took place in Miletus, near the end of Paul's third and last missionary journey. We looked at three words that are describing the leaders. There's the word elder that speaks to kind of the of the maturity of the individual. By the way, these are all synonymous of the same people that are leading. Uh, Another word is pastor, and it has to do with uh, the feeding of the flock, feeding them the word of God. And the other is overseer, and it has to do with kind of the the leadership position, administration of the position of managing the, the, the household of God. Paul reflects back with these broad strokes of his ministry, the highlights and even some of the lowlights of this ministry that God has given him in in Ephesus. And he apparently spent uh, two or three years there ministering, and now he's given it over to these uh, these men. He didn't want to go directly to Ephesus because he knew he'd have a hard time pulling himself away from there. But he's trying to encourage them as they are getting ready to lead the church. And in so doing... He gives them some of the marks of a model minister. We talked last week about the motive of ministry, which is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't interested in making a name for himself. He wasn't interested in building some religious empire, creating some political block, you know, where he could wield his muscle. That's not what he was trying to do. He's not interested in just, you know, gathering up a bunch of money for himself or a claim He was a servant of Jesus. The word literally means a slave. It has the concept of him being subservient to his master, who is Jesus. So he was sold out to doing whatever his master wanted. Uh, The second feature was the manner of ministry, which was to serve with humility. Paul was not a bully. He was not prone to just spend time with the power brokers, you know, the, the movers and the shakers. He wasn't going to forget the poor. Uh, or the less influential. In fact, it's, he said elsewhere, he was kind of like a parent uh, that would shed tears for their children. And the third way that Paul modeled ministry was by his faithfulness in preaching the word of God, proclaiming the message of the gospel and the word of God. He said in verse 20 and 21, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is, is that if you are committed to doing that, that there's going to be a tension. There will be a, a conflict between you and the culture because the culture is going one way and a person who holds to the word of God is going another. Now, let me be quick to add that we still treat everybody as a Christian, you should at least, treat everybody as being made in the image of God, uh, no matter what their belief system, where they're from, uh, what their activity. They are important to God, so we treat them with respect and with love. You always start there. That doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say or what they do, but you always start there, right? Paul certainly would, would seek to do that, but still, he had people that wanted him dead. And so he would be beaten, he'd be thrown in jail. Why? Because of what he was saying. Because it was in a religious culture. And the religious leaders especially hated him for him being committed to the gospel. Um, Because you didn't need 
all the religious rigmarole, you needed Christ. And they didn't like that. So the challenge, I think, for many is to uh, deal with this conflict in a way where you know, you're still faithful or you can give in to the culture. So you don't want to deny the attention, but I want to make sure that we recognize the tension for what it is. We're not, we're not battling other people. We're battling an ideology, worldviews, and uh, we should always lead with respect and love no matter who we're uh, in conflict with. So if the word of God is, is, uh, is important and a, and a message that we need to proclaim, I think the, the challenge for many of us is realizing that the word of God is more than a, than a history book. It's not just providing superior morals for people, uh, that it's, it's, in fact, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we take it for what it, what it is, the word of God. So we want people to read it for themselves, to have the Holy Spirit speak to them. It reminds me of a story by Dr. Rosalind Picard, founder and director of the Effective Research Group at MIT. Uh, she was once convinced that she didn't need God, didn't need religion, so she declared herself an atheist and uh, figured at least she should read the Bible once, you know, and uh, she said that when I first opened the Bible, I expected to find phony miracles and assorted gobbledygook. And to her surprise, it wasn't that. She said that the book of Proverbs, especially, is full of wisdom. She said, I had to pause while, while reading and think. She read through the entire Bible twice. She said, I felt this strange sense of being spoken to. Part of me was increasingly eager to spend time with the God of the Bible, but an irritated voice inside me insisted I would be happy again once I moved on. In college, another student invited her to his church. The pastor got her attention when he asked, who is Lord of your life? She said, I was intrigued. I was the captain of my ship, but was it possible that God would actually be willing to lead me? After praying, Jesus Christ, I ask you to be Lord of my life, my world changed dramatically, as if a flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional but I lost nothing of my urge to seek new knowledge. In fact, I felt emboldened to ask even tougher questions about how the world works. Today, I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles. I do not have adequate answers to explain all their suffering, but I know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all, who confess their sins and call upon his name. I once thought I was, uh, I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ask for, filled with desire to keep learning and exploring. Rosalind Picard, MIT professor. That, my friends, is the power of the Spirit of God using the Word of God to shed light on the Son of God, the Word of God. Let's stand as we take a look at our passage today. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Father, may it be true of us, may it be true of this church that we proclaim the whole counsel of God, and may we always say yes to you, yes to your commands, yes to your leading, yes to your Holy Spirit. And when in conflict with the culture, may we lovingly say no to the culture. Lord, are we not fighting the people of our culture, but we want to love even those who see us as an enemy. So I ask that your Holy Spirit uh, would help us not to uh, become angrier, help us not to be more militant in our approach to others, but certainly committed to the truth of your word. And in so doing, learning that what your word teaches us to be even more loving and respectful to others. Uh, but I pray that you'll do a holy work, do a work that only you can in each of our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we read in our passage today another important characteristic that the Apostle Paul is giving for a modeling ministry, and it is this. It is endurance and dedication toward the mission. Endurance and ded dedication. Now, when we talk about a couple words like this, it almost implies human effort, power of the human will, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But I would be quick to add that when it comes to the Christian life, if there was ever a secret, it's in living in dependent faith on the indwelling Christ. It's not that we don't use our will, but we realize that with the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, we're to allow him to give us the power to live the Christian life, which is impossible to live in and of our own strength. So it's with the indwelling Christ to give us the power uh, to do these things of enduring and dedicating ourselves toward the mission. It's just not a matter of the human will alone. Uh, Paul speaks here of being constrained by the Spirit. He speaks of the Holy Spirit testifying. He speaks of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ and being given grace and using the whole counsel of God. There's not much here that we could take credit for ourselves, right? Except acknowledging that we are recipients of God's goodness. Paul tells these leaders that the Holy Spirit has tipped him off, that there's going to be trouble ahead. Now, we are not told how the Holy Spirit constrained him or testified to Paul. Uh, Paul does not give us those specifics but he does know that he will be afflicted and imprisoned. He experienced conflict, in fact, in most cities. And again, the Holy Spirit is saying, Jerusalem is going to be problematic. Our passage lets us know that Paul moved in that direction. Almost like when Jesus knew when he was going back to Jerusalem, there was going to be trouble Paul also knew, going back to Jerusalem, he was going to face danger. It's kind of an amazing thing. In fact, I'd say that, you know, if, if I could write an Old Testament word here in this passage, 
it would be sila, which means, you know, think about this. Ponder that of the impact of this idea that I am communicating now. That's what that word means when it's in the Psalms. Meditate on this. And if I were to meditate on this, if I were to trace why many believers find the Christian life uninspiring, boring, drop out of church, not active in in serving others, I'd bet they are missing these two motivations of that, that, that caused Paul to endure and dedicate himself towards his mission. The first is this. He realized that his life was not his own. I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Now, Paul could have said, hey, I really don't have time for this. My job is in making tents, and I want to continue making a bunch of tents to make a bunch of money, and I don't want to get sidetracked with this. That's not what he says. He could have just said, I don't feel like doing this. I mean, you're asking me to sacrifice. I really don't want to do that. I've weighed this request, and the fact is, there's just not enough in it for me. There is a a basic reality he acknowledges that many Christians refuse to accept. Henley wrote in his poem Invictus, we are the captains of our soul. Really? I mean, I got to tell you, honestly, sometimes I'm not even the captain of the thoughts in my own head. I don't even know why I'm thinking some of the things I think or why I do some of the things I do. I can't explain a lot of things about my own behavior. And if you don't understand that, just ask my wife. She will confirm that that is a true statement. We are not sovereign. We do not dictate reality by the just a, a whim. We read this in Isaiah, but now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. And in Isaiah, we read this. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. I could say, turn to the person next to you and say, grasshopper. No, all right. (laughs) Those of you that are 20 and under, you have no idea what that refers to, but... It was a TV show many years ago, right? (laughs) Um, Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. After God asked Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Job answers and says, behold, I am of small account. We don't often say this to ourselves. I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. 
something we should do more often, put our hands over our mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. When we realize that our part is not as the potter, but as the clay, that we are not one in control, that we are under the sovereign, that we are finite, limited in our knowledge, you realize that God is the playwright. God is the author. And we are given stewardship to play our part as he directs. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You do not even own your body. We are stewards of what God has given to us in this world. Paul said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It, it kind of harkens back to the idea that we were enslaved to sin. We were, as it were, on an auction block, and Jesus redeemed us, bought us off of the auction block. We traded slavery for freedom in Christ, and now we're to serve our master, Jesus. Our life is not our own. We find our purpose in the will of the creator and owner. He is our owner, our manager, our boss, our master, our sovereign. And believers who fail to recognize this act incongruent with the spirit within them. And you are guaranteeing then discord within yourself. Whether it's slow burning anger because of this contest of the wills, a lack of motivation and anxiousness, the person still claiming self-dependence will experience discord in their own heart. One who thinks he is the captain, I can guarantee you this, is unwilling to endure and dedicate him or herself to anything that rubs against their personal desires. You wanna know how to endure and dedicate yourself to the mission? Realize your life is not your own. Paul was intent on going to Jerusalem. It was like he had a homing device for this mission. Nothing was going to stop him. He said, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace of God, the gospel of the grace of God. He endured, he was dedicated because he had a compelling mission to accomplish. Reason number two, a compelling mission to accomplish. There is a, a course to finish, a goal to accomplish. Now, Paul, in fact, did not die in Jerusalem. He was sent eventually to Rome where he died. But he was a prison from Jerusalem, a prisoner from Jerusalem to Rome. 
And that was God's plan. And he endured, continuing to be on his mission, testifying to whoever would listen. Authorities in Jerusalem and authorities in Rome. So he had and understood his mission. Now, all of us can have a mission, a goal, but it's quite different from the kind that Paul had and the kind that I think we should have. A mission that defines us, a mission that is given to us by our maker and creator. He had a ministry from the Lord Jesus, and it consisted of being a carrier of the gospel. While Paul had tasks that were unique to him, all of us have this same primary mission. It may look differently to others, or for others than what it would to us, but he was a carrier of the gospel. We're carriers of the gospel. Listen to the message paraphrase out of Galatians, where Paul speaks about his responsibility before God. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. I like that. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole creation. I mean, how many times have you heard that? But frankly, I don't think we see that necessarily as compelling. One of the things I've done with the guys that have uh, been discipled here is we try to develop a mission statement that is unique for each individual. And it's important, I think, that we talk through and think through and even talk with some of our friends What does it mean that we are on mission for the gospel? What does that mean for me personally? And and develop a statement that is unique to you that incorporates your giftings and your passions. Now, I hesitate to even give you mine, but I know it includes the idea of creating environments where people are open to the word of God and can be discipled, welcomed into the kingdom of God. Now, the way you say it for yourself will be different than another person says it, but how are you contributing to the kingdom of God and utilizing the gospel? Have you ever taken the time to make that specific for yourself? I would encourage you to do that. You can talk to some friends and say, you know, what do you see in me? What what kind of gifts do you see? And ask God, take time. It may take weeks, even months to, to settle on something, but I'd encourage you. It's well worth it. I think many of us look at Paul. We read about the disciples and somehow being carriers of the gospel. You know, that's for somebody else to do. Um, You know, God didn't call me to be a preacher. You're, You're probably saying to yourself. But everyone is responsible for the gospel in your sphere of influence. It could be as simple as just sharing your story with somebody. It could be as simple as loving the people around you, showing kindness, forgiving, and then when somebody asks, why are you doing this? Then you can point to Jesus. You know, you don't have to know Greek to do that. You don't have to go to seminary to do that, right? You just share what Christ has done in your life, how he's changed you. All of us can do that. The message, again, ultimately, is not about a superior moral code. 
The message is not about helping other people to succeed. The message is not trying to, you know, be on some image campaign for God. Right? He doesn't need our help with that. The message is sharing. Once I was blind, but now I can see. That's what we share. It's about God transforming lives through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, that kind of news is better than a cure for cancer. Because I guarantee if you had a cure for cancer, you'd be shouting it from the mountaintops, right? As we should, right? It's, it's better than any political victory. It's better than winning the lottery. Because the lottery only creates more problems for people. You ever read about people who win the lottery? <laughs> and how their, their lives often are ruined as a result? You see, the gospel cures our worst problems. And it sets our course for eternity. A compelling mission to accomplish. Paul adds another characteristic. It's not only compelling, but a good minister feels a great sense of urgency. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul declares that he does not have an endless amount of time to do what God has called him to do. You guys are probably never going to see me again. I want to make sure I get this in. All right? I want to complete my mission. He knew that he wouldn't see them. And then he gives an interesting statement that indicates that he was cognizant of eternity when he said he is innocent of the blood of all. It's like, I know one day I am going to have to stand before God and give account. I want to make sure that I am innocent of the blood of all. Kind of reminds me of the statement in James where it says, teachers shall incur a stricter judgment. It's actually this statement that he says is probably out of Ezekiel 33. In it, Ezekiel is a watchman for Israel warning them that there was going to be a pending doom and they were to heed his words. If not, they were going to fall by the way of the sword. And we read this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take that warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, he did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning... He could have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Wait a minute, you, you, were, a, you were a friend? You were my friend for 15 years? You knew this gospel and you never told me? And now I'm in hell? Why would you not tell me that? That's the kind of picture Paul kind of had here, right? Two things are paramount. One is time is a factor because danger is looming. Secondly, 
He's not crying wolf, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the message is real and the danger is imminent. And so there is an urgency to this. I mean, there's no time better than now to share our story with others who are in need. And we can't back down or shrink, as Paul said, being afraid that we're going to be rejected. The need is great. Time is running out. I read about a group of servicemen who asked their new chaplain if he believed in hell for people who reject Christ. And he smiled and he said, of course not, I don't believe in hell. Uh, and then they responded, then you are wasting your time. If there is no hell, we don't need you. And if there is a hell, you are leading us astray. Either way, we're better off without you. <laughs> without urgency, our message grows stale and it's uninteresting. The need is great. And we have no idea how much time we have. In the Netflix series, The Crown, there's a scene where Prince Philip is greatly inspired by the moon landing. You see him watching it on TV and there's this great sense of, of you know, inspiration that comes. And, um, but during that time, while he's inspired by the moon landing, he's also very uninspired by God and especially church. He finds both very distant and boring. Please, I don't want to see a show of hands who agree with that. But I know that we have plenty because I talk to people all the time and that's just the way it is. The fact is, though, after these three astronauts came back to Earth, they were invited to meet the Queen and Prince Philip, and he had them in a room by himself, and he, had, he was kind of nervous, he had questions to ask them, and he was so uninspired by their answers. They were just very technical, and it was nothing like what he expected. They were, did not give these philosophical, faith-filled answers at all. During that time as well, Robin Woods, the dean of Windsor and priest, he had asked the prince for a room to be used by these uninspiring other priests or preachers. They were kind of beleaguered. They were discouraged, most of them a little older. And the prince at first was just kind of skeptical and just saying, you know, what's the use? Because you guys don't do much good anyway. Uh, but, you know, go ahead. Who cares? Kind of his attitude. So we pick up the story there. And I want us to view this scene because I think it depicts the state of many people's hearts and shows that with, with a little patience and using our ears more than our mouths, we can pick up that there are many around us who are in great need. There are people just like that all around in our sphere of influence. And if we'll but take the time to listen, we can share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.